you'll turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Ezekiel, or look on your scripture sheets. Today's scripture reading is from Ezekiel, the 37th chapter, verses 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord is upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and I will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from the graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Children are excused to go to Sunday school. First of all, may I thank John so much for that very warm and gracious uh, welcome. I hope you all can understand my accent. Um, it's quite difficult. Of course, you don't have accents. And uh, I cannot tell you how great it is to be here uh, back in, in Tennessee. And to renew my friendship with, with John Sertel, Scotland is indeed a desperate nation. We're, it's a home of Presbyterianism. John Knox started the whole Presbyterian movement. John Knox is now buried unknown in the parking lot of a church. Uh, his memory is forgotten and his influence is denied. The percentage of church attendance in Scotland is less than that in China. And so from the very wellspring of the Reformation, 
Presbyterian Reformation, we have spiritual wilderness. One of the reasons I'm, I'm over here is to uh, raise some support for a church plant that we in the Free Church of Scotland are doing in the town of Haddington. Now, Haddington is the very town where John Knox was born. And there is there now no evangelical or even reformed witness. And so we've identified a church plant and we're raising funds and we're well on the way to do that for Haddington. So please join us in supporting that and praying for the work in Haddington. Five years ago, we had three Free Church of Scotland congregations in, in the Edinburgh area. Now we have seven and Haddington will be our eighth. And so, you know, do not despair. The gospel is still moving uh, across Scotland. So please join us in partnership and prayer for the work of the gospel in Scotland. And how is the church revived? It's revived and revitalized in Scotland in exactly the same way as it is here in is it Fayette County. I hope I pronounced I, I just can't pronounce it like y'all can. So... Uh, Please excuse my terrible American accent, and I will excuse your terrible Scottish accent. Uh, many of you have been watching Braveheart. I think uh, Mel Gibson just does not get it, I'm afraid. Uh, nobody can say freedom like a Scotsman can. So let's enter in today to great gospel freedom. Oh, open our Bibles, please, to... Uh, the passage John read, if you have your Bibles or have a look at your scripture sheet there. And uh, let's read again at verse 4. Prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Well, this morning I was asked to speak in the whole area of Sola Scriptura. And there is a sense in which uh, there are things that I have to speak about and there are things I do not need to speak about. First of all, I am making an assumption here. I am making an assumption that everybody here is on board with the Sola Scriptura idea. In other words, it is not the traditions of men. It is not the authority of popes. There is not the mere ideas of the fashion of the world or the current zeitgeist that informs a church, but rather that we are informed by Scripture alone and not by any other fancy extraneous words, whether they are words of fake prophecy or words of men of great repute. <clears throat> we go by Scripture alone. So I'm guessing that that is not something I need to convince folk here about. I'm also assuming that I don't need to convince folk about the inspiration of Scripture, that we have in the Bible the very breath of God. That's what inspiration means. So whenever the Bible is read, it's almost as if the breath of God himself fills a room. And that's a remarkable phenomenon. Folk talk about charismatic experiences and words of knowledge and prophecies and all these things. But whenever we read the, read the Bible, the very breath of God is exhaled into the room. And so this morning we have already heard the word of God. 
So again, we believe that. We believe in the inspiration of the Bible. We also believe in the inerrancy of the Bible. Again, I, I don't need to convince you that's one of the many foundation pillars of the Presbyterian Church of America. That's why it started uh, over the battle of the Bible and the inerrancy of the Word of God. That every single word is true in every area, not just in theology, but in science and in cultural observation. But I have a worry, and I have an observation, that the Reformed Church has got this doctrine, and it's a marvelous doctrine, it is a world-changing doctrine. But I'm not seeing the church changing the world. I'm thinking that we are folk who've got an orthodoxy, and that's good. It's better than an unorthodoxy. But the problem is that that orthodoxy is kept in a cupboard. It's almost as if that you have a lion, and the lion is chained, and the lion is like a domestic cat, hid away in some cupboard, lest it scared the children. And what we want to do here in Christ Presbyterian is we want to take the great doctrines of the Reformation and we want to take them out of the cupboard and we want to put them right in the very center of the culture and we want to let the, hear the lion roar again. And one of these great sounds of the lion roars is to be found whenever we open the Bible. And so we come here to Ezekiel chapter 37, and it is an amazing chapter. It's an amazing chapter because it speaks of where we are currently in the world today. Look what it says there, verse 11, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. And so we've got to honestly look at our own churches. Are we seeing conversions? Are we seeing growth from people who have been and may I use a word which is becoming very, very unfashionable. Uh, are we seeing people who are being saved? Saved from the wrath to come, brought in to the fold of the church of God. And so maybe worship has become dull. Maybe evangelism has become blunted. Maybe holiness has been reduced to a matter of mere ticking of boxes. And we have forgotten what it is all about. And so we find here, has God placed us in many ways in a wasteland? Well, you may say, we are in no wasteland. We are in Tennessee. This is the Bible Belt. How dare this preacher from Scotland come over and speak about a wasteland? But I wonder... Can any external ob observer of the United States and the whole of the Western world deny that today that we are in a spiritual wasteland? Folk may have the externals of religion, but the reality is often, again to quote verse 11, our bones are dried up and our hope are gone. I don't know how, how many of you are familiar here with Ezekiel 37. Maybe those of you of an older generation can remember the old song. It was at James Weldon Johnson, them bones, them bones, them dry bones. I'm not going to even attempt to sing it. But we all know that song, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. 
It's not talking about the Old Testament doctrine of resurrection. But rather what Ezekiel is doing here is the people of God are in exile. The people of God are in a spiritually desperate situation. They are in exile in Babylon. And things are looking very, very low. And Ezekiel is giving them a promise. And so this morning we come into this lovely new building. And we come into this room. And we are looking for God to move. We are looking to God to move this congregation and to multiply it and develop it and develop it. And so when I read these words here in the, in the sheet there, a daughter church of independent Presbyterian church, that I will come back, spared and well, in five years' time, and maybe preach in another congregation in this area that will be a daughter church of Christ Presbyterian, that the gospel will have so expanded in this area that the movement of God will really be quite wonderful to behold. But let's look at this passage. We see two visions. We see the vision in the first half of the valley of dry bones. And then there's a second vision, the two sticks. The old division of Israel and Judah will be done away with. And so we see God here working in, in revival and revitalization. And we see God working in unity. What I want to look at then this morning is how the word of God affects the situation. How our doctrine of sola scriptura is applied in a real life situation. And how it fills us with gospel hope. Let's look at the passage and let's notice one or two things. Number one, hope begins with an honest assessment. Hope begins with an honest assessment. Look at verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. The hand of the Lord is always taking Ezekiel to hard places. Chapter 8, verse 1, the Lord showed him the abomination of the temple. Uh, the last time he had visited the valley, God had shown him another vision, and he was silent. He could not speak. For five years. God is a realist. And again, look at the passage. It says every single phrase is significant. He set me in the middle of a valley. The language is very, very strong. It was full of bones. And in the original Hebrew, it's very graphic. It's very vivid. It's like the valley is literally, it's almost like a, a horror movie. It's just Full of bones. This is a pile of skeletons. And this is death on an industrial scale. Unimagined death. Now, double it up. Ezekiel was a priest. And according to the Old Testament cultists, the way folk did things in the Old Testament, a priest was not even to be near a dead body. That was one of the rules. Double it up even more. And an unburied body was a sign of the curse. And so here is Ezekiel, a priest, in the middle of this pollution, in the middle of a scenario that is really making his skin crawl and creep. And in normal circumstances, he wouldn't be allowed to see it. 
This is the embodiment of uncleanliness. And God tells him, go into that situation. That is the scene before you. Beloved, that's what we face. We face our culture is not just broken, it's dead. Your unconverted neighbor is not just a little bit messed up. They are spiritually dead. The culture of the USA is not just slightly off beam. It is dead. And until we absorb the reality of that situation, until we realize that spiritually without Christ, man and woman is without a pulse, without a hope. There's a really interesting book that I love. Uh, as a commentary on Ezekiel by, by, by uh, Chris Wright. It's in the Bible Speaks Today series. <coughs> but he's got a, a heading here. And it says, From rigor mortis to resurrection. With the greatest respect, we're dealing with a lot worse than rigor mortis here. We're dealing with sun-bleached, dry bones. The vulture had taken every bit of flesh away. Picture the Arizona desert, the cactus, eagles up in the sky, the, the, the barren, dry ground. And there's a pile of dry bones here. This is awful. Not just dead, but remember they were unburied, a sign of a curse. And so sin is not just something which is inappropriate. Mankind is dead, and he is dead because he is under the wrath and curse of God. And folks, I'm not just saying this because I'm Scottish, and we're all supposed to be miserable in Scotland. I'm saying this because it's the truth. And that is the situation before us. And so revival and revitalization has to begin with an honest assessment that in terms of God and in terms of a vital experience of God, there is absolutely none. Not just death, but death as a result of a curse. So we see here, hope begins with an honest assessment. But the second thing we notice here is that hope begins with a critical question. Hope begins with an honest assessment. Secondly, hope begins with a critical question. Verse 3, he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? Now, uh, I was driving down Walnut Grove uh, the other day, and it was independent, and beside independent, Second Baptist, and Second Baptist has got a poster up, uh, uh, a, a series of sermons that, that they're doing, and it's entitled The Humor of God. And I kind of think this is quite funny. If it weren't God asking the question, <coughs> Son of man, can these bones live? I was in a, a, a restaurant the, uh, quite recently, and uh, my my friend wanted his steak done rare. 
So it came to being served up and the, the waiter brought the steak and it was so rare, he put it back. And the waiter says, is there a problem? He says, a problem? This is so rare that a really good vet could probably get it going again. You cannot accept the humor here. Can these bones live? And Ezekiel's kind of looking at them and thinking, Phew. bones as far as the eye can see. If the question did not come from the Lord, it would have been absurd. And of course, this is the culture where there were gods for everything. There were gods for the living, gods for the dead. And then Ezekiel said, I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. And so Ezekiel is making a theological point here. He Remember, it's a culture where there's you could gods for the living, gods for the dead, gods for cats, gods for dogs, gods for everything. And so when he says, Sovereign Lord, you alone know, he's saying, Sovereign Lord, you are the God who can do absolutely everything. You're the God of the living, you're the God of the dead, you're the God of the past, present, and future. You alone can do this. So what we don't see here is a crass triumphalism. Gospel hope does not begin with the swagger of some self-important positivity. One of the things I love about the U.S. is a strength, but it's also, if I may say so, a weakness. Let me explain. The strength is... Your positivity. Um, Twenty years ago, the choir of, of Independent came over to my church. And at that time, we had no musical accompaniment for various reasons. And so the choir were going to do a piece. And I says to James Brown, the, the director of music, James, you can't do music. James said, it's impossible. We need music. I says, James, you are an American. You sent the first man to the moon. Are you telling me you can't do this without music? And James said, we'll do it. <laughs> You're Americans. You're given a challenge. You can do it. It's an American dream. A any one of you could become president. You can do it. So that's the positive. The negative is there are some things you cannot do. Not one person in this room, not the most gifted person from this blessed nation with material, financial, intellectual, natural resources can do a single thing to move Anybody one inch spiritual. It is impossible. And so that's why Ezekiel says, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Evangelism, church growth, can only be done through God. You do not have the answer within your own resources. Where is the answer? 
And that brings us to the third thing here. And that is that hope is fueled by action. Here's, here's a statement that's worth the price of your offer. If nothing changes, nothing changes. Okay, I've come 4,000 miles to tell you that. Nothing changes, nothing changes. So if this church just goes on doing nothing, it will be nothing. But that's not what a Reformed church does. A Reformed church just does not sit around tables studying the Westminster Confession of Faith. It does that. But in the Scriptures... In the teaching of the doctrine, it discovers that it has to do things. And what does he say? Verse 4, he says, Prophesy to the bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. It doesn't say, go home and read your best life now. It doesn't say, get yourselves a life coach. It says, prophesy to these bones. Now, you've really got to feel for Ezekiel's preaching gigs. They are tough. The very first one you get in chapter 2 and 3, God says, I want you to preach to people with stiff faces, hard hearts, and bronze foreheads. Well, you guys look a lot better than that, I can tell you. Stiff faces, hard hearts, and bronze foreheads. And now he's told to preach to the dead. So what he's got to do is, he's got this idea of sola scriptura. He's getting the Bible. And he is opening up the Bible. And he is prophesying to these people. You see, that's what we do. And it's counterintuitive. So what the brothers do here is, you know, there's a, I don't know if you're familiar with a TV show in the United Kingdom. It's called Doctor Who. And uh, is anybody familiar with Doctor Who? No, you're not. Uh, some of you are. Doctor Who's mode of transport is a TARDIS. Now, let me tell you what a TARDIS is. A TARDIS is like an old school police box. It's just a really ordinary little box, like a kiosk, like a kind of coffee kiosk. But it looks ordinary, and you open the door, oh, and it's extraordinary. It kind of opens up into something amazing. This room here looks, with the greatest respect, ordinary. It is an ordinary, minimalist, Presbyterian meeting house. And each week someone gets behind this holy desk, opens this wonderful book, opens out its contents, and miracles happen. Lives are changed. I watch the God Channel occasionally, like once every 50 years. And you read there folk talking about miracles. There is no greater miracle. 
than hearing God's Word being opened up. And God's Word having an effect in hearts and lives. The great regenerator is in the room. Didn't Martin Luther say, while I drank Wittenberg beer, the gospel ran its course. He said, the word did it. I just opened up the word. And that's what Ezekiel is doing there. Prophesy to these bones. Again, one commentator said this was just the living power of the word of the living God invading the valley of the shadow of death. Just. Just the living power of the word of the living God invading the valley of the shadow of death. Folk, we talk about the ordinary means of grace. If ever there was something misnamed, it was that. The ordinary means of grace are the most extraordinary things that you can think of. When God uses the word, when God uses the sacraments, and when God uses these things to bring death, to bust the graveyard into being something that was a scene of annihilation and death. God uses his word. And as the word is preached and proclaimed, the graveyard becomes alive and you have a great army. That's what God does. The conservative church is anything but conservative. We are dealing with nitroglycerine whenever we open up the Word. In fact, when the Word is opened up, there should be seat belts in each seat because God is able to do so many things. So I want to take this whole idea of the Presbyterian reform movement as being sterile, and academic and bookish and I want to put that whole idea to hell and I want to put the reality here God says when my word is preached the very gates of that same hell will not prevail against it and so he says speak to the bones and then verse 9 he says they're prophesied to the Spirit. Now, this passage is, is, is saturated with the Spirit. Nine times, uh, ten times rather, the word Spirit. The word is Ruach. Scotsman can say Ruach. It's got a good in it. Ruach means Spirit. Prophesied to the winds. Prophesied to the Spirit. So this is the essence of ministry. You speak to the bones on behalf of God. And you speak to God on behalf of the bones. You preach and you pray. And God does his thing. And what a thing it is. Don't you have that sense of the palpable excitement of what's happening and what's going to happen here in Christ? Don't you have that sense that a church that's based in the Bible and the open Bible is not a dead church. It's not a marginal church. It's not yesterday's church. It's cutting edge. It's forward thinking. And of course, what happens here? 
God says, verse 6, I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And so he did that and the bones came together. And notice what it says there. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath. I travel extensively throughout the world. I travel extensively throughout the USA. And I have seen many churches just like this. Tendons, flesh, skin covered them. You've got everything. You've got a great facility. You've got and the minister of this and the minister of that. You've got programs for every conceivable eventuality. You've got a senior pastor who's an orthodontist. He just looks amazing and he's a celebrity, but there's no breath. No breath. Only God brings that breath, and God will bring that breath. And so, what God does, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, Son of Man, to Satan, come from the four winds of breath and breathe into these slain that they may live. Look at verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me. The breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet. A vast army. This is the vision for this congregation. This is the vision of what God can do through scripture alone. Being opened up from the lion. Being released from the cupboard. Time is going. But what do you see? You see hope fulfilled. Verse 11 to the end, son of man, these bones, are, they say our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, we are cut off. He's saying, look, this is not looking great. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up out of them. The day the Bible burst the graveyard. That's it. Let me conclude, let me come into land. What else do we read of here? We read of the nation coming together. God has opened up the graveyards. God is doing a new thing. There's this vast army. How, how has it been done? Well, is, is it a central figure? Verse 22. I will make them one nation in the land and the mountains of Israel. And notice it says this. And one king shall be the king over them all. And they shall be no longer two nations and no longer divided into two nations. I wonder who is this king. Verse 24. My servant David shall be king over them. And they shall have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules. And be very careful to obey my statutes. Is this just David then? Or is it a greater David? Mm, look at 27. 26. And I will set them in their land and multiply them. And will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. That's not David. My dwelling place shall be with them. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. That's speaking of Jesus, isn't it? He is the shepherd. He is the ultimate hope. And look at the evangelistic and missional thrust. Verse 28. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel. When my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Beloved, 
sola scriptura is not a slogan. Sola scriptura is not simply a mark of orthodoxy. Sola scriptura is a battle cry and a promise from God himself that when his word and his word alone is opened, graveyards come alive. May the graveyards Fayette County when exposed to the word of God Come alive, a great, vast army. Bow our heads, let's pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Lord, may we never reduce these great themes of the church to mere soundbite. May they be our agenda. May they be our song. Lord, that this congregation and the surrounding community would hear the word of God and would become alive. Bless us now. Forgive our sins. We ask this in the Saviour's name. Amen. Our hymn is most appropriate. How firm a foundation, saints of the Lord, is